Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. This is episode number 25. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity and sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Adam Roa. And Adam is a transformational artist, founder of the online personal development community, Create, and the podcast host of The Deep Dive with Adam Roa. And he's been listed by Goldcast as one of the top 33 game changers to watch. And his viral poem, You Are Who You've Been Looking For, has been viewed more than 200 million times. He's spoken on countless stages, including Oslo Freedom Forum, Mind Valley A-Fest, and Envision Festival. Adam has recently begun to blend his poetry into mainstream music, with his first single, Voices, releasing on October 1st. A modern-day Renaissance man, he's known for his unique blend of science and spirituality wrapped in artistic mediums. You can find Adam's online community at www.thecreatecommunity.com and you can find Adam on Instagram at adam.roa, R-O-A. And the two of us have a really beautiful chat about our deepest fears. We both share what we feel is holding us back and what our uh, what Adam likes to refer to as his karmic fear. So these deep-seated fears that affect our sexuality, affect our relationships, and even affect our work, our careers, and, and progressing forward uh, in what we do. And we also then talk about compassion and self-love and how these things can help overcome the fears that we might have and really resonated with what Adam was sharing and thought there was a lot of valuable content in this as well about deconstructing fear and and building up compassion and self-love. So I had a really enjoyable chat with Adam and I hope you enjoy too. We know that once a person is perverted, it is practically impossible for that person to adjust to normal attitudes in regard to sex. Sometimes you hear that masturbation affects your mind or your manhood. It isn't true. And some people call the penis funny names like John Willie or something, but we call it its real name, penis. Well, the first question I ask everyone that comes on the show is, I just want to give you a bit of a uh, platform, a bit of an invitation here, open invitation to share about yourself, your life, your journey, and as it pertains maybe directly to masculinity and sexuality and, and pleasure, man. So feel free. Got it. So I have the full hour to just tell you the backstory of, of my masculinity. <laughs> That's what I'll do. This will be. Um, yeah. So uh, my name's Adam Roa. I am an artist and a, as someone who is on this planet to help people learn to love life love life as much as possible. And uh, for myself and my journey with masculinity, I was molested at the age of five. And it was a repressed memory that I didn't actually uh, have come back to me until I was basically 30 years old. And so it's been interesting because at 30 years old, I had um, been down the personal development road for a while. And I had had my spiritual awakening and, and I had this level of awareness that was so beneficial because I was able to see the patterns of how I was before the understanding that I had been molested to, to afterwards with through, through a, a lens of consciousness and awareness and understanding that was, was 
boggling my mind of all these things because in my early stages of development, I just didn't feel safe. So I, I grew up, my dad's from the Philippines and I grew up being disciplined with belts and wooden objects and things like that. And um, so I didn't feel safe at home. And then in my, my initial uh, falling in love, losing my virginity uh, to a woman that I th- thought I'd be with. Like I had these dreams, high school sweethearts would be together forever. And turns out she had another boyfriend for um, the entire time we were together. And then I I was cheated on in a, a series of relationships after that, very low self-esteem around it. And my sexuality later in life, I, I realized was so shut down. Um, one of the biggest at, one of the biggest beliefs I had taken on through all of these events was it's not safe to be the object of sexual desire, mm. and so that was uh, me shutting myself down. And another belief that I took on was that uh, male sexual energy causes pain, and so and, and is uncontrollable and, and hurts people, and so those two beliefs caused me to shut down my own sexual energy tremendously and also intentionally uh, not engage with it. And it worked out pretty well for the most part in the sense of I got into a relationship with a woman, I was with her for 10 years. And so shutting down my sexual energy while it impacted our sex life, it allowed me to be a quote unquote really good boyfriend. I would leave the house and you're like, you didn't have to worry about me flirting with other women or any of that. And then so when I went through the breakup and was single for the first time in my adult life, I started to see all the ways in which I had been shut down and how this was affecting all these areas of my life that I hadn't been aware of. And uh, that journey of reawakening my masculinity, my sexuality, uh, healing from sexual abuse, and learning how to be a man in the modern age, a conscious man uh, who wants to, to, to be the best and most loving version of myself has been quite the journey, which I've, I've created you know, a reality YouTube show called The Art of Choosing Love, and I've shared it on my podcast, The Deep Dive, that journey. But it leads me here where I'm now getting to speak with someone like yourself who's uh, what I would consider an, an expert in this field and, and has studied it so so much that um, I, I'm honored to be on your show. It's a pleasure. I'm such a fan. I told you before we started recording, I'm a fan of the work that you're doing. It's so important. And hopefully now we are all caught up to speed on who I am and the journey I've been on to get here. Excited to talk to you. Mm, thank you so much, man, for for being yeah open and honest and vulnerable with that share, dude. I really appreciate it. And you, you touched on like two massive, massive uh, narratives, myths, uh, stories that a lot of men tell themselves and not only men tell themselves, but I feel like also men get told by society at large and maybe by their partners and by their mates, which is that male sexual energy or male sexuality is predatory um, and inherently, right? Inherently predatory, that there's inherently something wrong with it and that mm-hmm. men aren't the objects of sexual desire where the objectifiers of um of sexual objects right we objectify others uh, and so because of that i feel like that's a i guess because that's quite an ingrained pattern at least it was for me anyway in my own sexual experiences and and for a lot of guys that i've spoken with we do tend to see a lot of men not really own their sexuality and kind of project it onto others and outsource their pleasure to their partners and then not really feel comfortable um, expressing sexuality in any level 
in a public space as well. And, and I'm wondering what were some of the biggest um, turning points for you to kind of overcome those stories and those narratives? Because it, it, at least in my observation, a lot of guys feel very, very similar. Yeah, it's, this is, I don't know if this is going to be a controversial statement. The fact that I even have to wonder if it's a controversial statement can give an indicator of just how um, taboo it almost is to say, but like, I, I feel as if men are, are vilified for, for their sexuality in a, in a way that is often downplayed or uh, not looked at or not acknowledged because for some reason there's this idea that acknowledging that is somehow demeaning the, the, the over-sexualization and repression of female sexuality. And there's no denying that. So anyone listening to that, like, and, and at the hands of men, it, for the most part, uh, women have been suppressed and repressed and, and objectified and mistreated. And uh, in, in large part, and we could go into this in a later part, but in large part, because I feel like men have feared female, the power of female sexuality. And that has been the driving force for, for why men have done that. And yet at the same time, there is a vilification of masculine sexuality that is incredibly harmful. And in many ways, it's kind of, it's not the chicken or the egg, but they are feeding into each other. Uh, the repression, the suppression of, of female sexuality is being impacted by the vilification of the masculine sexuality. And so they go hand in hand. And so it can be really confusing as a man in the modern age for how to honor our sexual desires, embrace the power that lies in our sexuality while still simultaneously um, not, not coming across and as a, as a perpetrator, as a predator and as um, someone who has is malintentioned. And I think one of the biggest shifts directly to your point, one of the biggest shifts for me happened where I was at a medicine ceremony um, and it was this weekend uh, on a solstice several years ago. And I had had uh, the repressed memory of sexual abuse come back to me. And I was in my partnership at that time and we were healing together. Uh, she was very supportive. I was, um, there would be things like um, she would openly invite me to go out when I was going out with friends and tell me to flirt with women. Um, she would, I remember we went to a, fe a music festival and I was dancing with another woman and she said she was tired and she wanted to go. And she said, I want you to know if you want to kiss her, if you want to make out and that's as far as it goes, she's like, I'm totally fine with that. And like, go do that. She was just wanting me within the container of our, our relationship to still be able to explore these areas that, that I hadn't and that I felt shut down and I couldn't quite heal fully in relationship with her. And so, um, during that time, we went to this solstice ceremony and I'd, I was laying there and my head was actually in the lap of my partner and another woman came and asked if she could come and lay with us. And I remember we, I was like petting her head, this, this new woman, and um, just allowing sexual energy to run. And for anyone, I assume your audience is aware of what that means to, to actually just allow sexual energy to run, even if you're, you're just breathing or eye gazing or whatever, and to experience that. But I remember just like running my hands through her hair and like on her earlobes and things like that and running sexual energy. 
And she, at one point, burst into tears. And she burst into tears. And she, she just like sobbed. And uh, my partner and I just kind of held her. And she said afterwards, that was so incredibly healing. It was one of the most powerful experiences that, that she'd had and it, it unlocked so much for her. And it was in that moment, and the reason why this was such a powerful shift, that I realized that not only was my sexual energy safe, my sexual energy had the ability to heal. That, that my sexual energy, and remember I, I said that part of my belief I'd taken on was that male sexual energy was not safe and caused pain. It was my first experience of intentionally using my sexual energy not to have sex and to observe it have a healing effect on someone else. And that was one of the biggest shifts around it for me that really unlocked a lot of the potential that I later started to develop. Mm, amazing, man. And, and that intentional using of sexual energy for not having sex is, I think, like a massive turning point for a lot of men in general as well, especially the work that I do with a lot of guys is you know, getting away from this goal orientation when it comes to sexual expression and, and uh, tapping into sexual energy. Uh, uh, this is true for me, at least anyway, and, and for the guys that I've worked with, every time I felt sexual, every time these guys are feeling sexual, they have to act upon it and it needs to look explicitly uh, you know, the, the narrative around male sexuality is that it's assertive and it's um, penetrative and it's directed and it's, um, you know, and, and it's acted upon, you know, and, and it's acted upon explicitly as well. You know, there's a, there's a lot of shooting around what male sexuality expression should look like, um, you know, going for the genitals and being assertive and being dominant. And, and so a lot of guys fall into this trap then of like, well, if I'm feeling sexual, I have to action it. And the way I have to action it has to look a certain way, um, which becomes, you know, this, this domineering, penetrating, assertive way of expressing their sexuality, which a lot of times for me, I found when I did some work on this was that's not how I want to express my sexuality a lot of the time. I don't want to be this explicitly um, assertive, dominant person who's like driving that sexual exchange um, because that didn't feel right for me. It does feel right for me sometimes, but not, not all the time. And I wonder how many times I actually crossed my own boundaries by doing that um, when it's not something that I actually really wanted, but I thought that was what was expected of me as a man. Um, and that's the only way I was allowed to express my masculinity and sexuality together um, for fear of being called you know, gay or, or a pussy or you know, not manly or something like this. Um, and so like, I, that, I love that it was a big moment for you because it was a huge moment for me understanding that, that I could use my sexual energy and express my sexuality in a non-goal orientated way and I could just be there and, and be with it. It's, you're speaking to something that I relate to so deeply. And it's interesting because I felt like, like, honestly, it was, if I have a hard on and my partner feels it, I'm going to have to have sex. Yeah. So there were literally periods of time where I went, I don't want her to know that I have a hard on because I don't want to have sex. I don't want to have sex right now. And I feel like, and um, it's funny because I'm in a new partnership now. And I said to her, uh, just the other day because of, it, it was such a healing experience to me where she uh, was, <laughs> she was, I mean, it's this kind of podcast, but she was throughout the day rubbing my genitals, like just through my pants or whatever, just like out and around, but not in a, I 
we need to have sex right now kind of way. And I let her know by the end of the night how healing it had been for me to be in a dynamic where there was appreciation of, of me and my manhood in that way. There was, uh, a, there was sexual energy around it for sure and this fun, playful thing throughout the, the day, but there wasn't that pressure. And it's not necessarily even imposed by the partner you know, a lot of men may feel that and it may not be the woman who's doing it, but there definitely is that pressure from society. There's that pressure that says as a man, you are supposed to want to fuck everything all the time. If you have a hot woman in front of you and you don't want to fuck her, there's something wrong with you as a man. And um, it's, I know for myself that in that 10 year relationship specifically, I would when I did not feel like there were a lot of times I didn't feel like having sex and mind you that for most of this time I, I had these, this repressed memory of sexual abuse and the PTSD of it living in my body that was affecting my sex drive and so much that um, I wasn't aware of. But uh, also the, this idea that like, I didn't want to grab her. I didn't want to be primal. I didn't want to exchange sexual energy because I felt like it meant we had to have sex. And I think that if there are any women listening to this, like we don't always want to have sex, like all the movies and all the things that tell you that, but there are times where it's, it would be wonderful just to exchange sexual energy, be flirtatious and let it end there. And, um, that that was a huge, huge turning point for me when I realized that I could do that and take the pressure off of myself to have it be goal-oriented, as, as you said, and um, allow yourself the pleasure of sexual energy. Like people, I don't think people know when it becomes goal-oriented, it's almost like a pass-fail where it's like you either you either scored a goal and won the game or you didn't, as opposed to how enjoyable is it just to be in the juiciness of sexual energy and let that charge you for for a day. Mm, yeah, totally, man. It's it, I often say it's all about the journey rather than the destination, right? Which is just applicable to a lot of things in life. Same thing goes for sex. Uh, enjoy the moment. Enjoy the 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 buildup of that anticipation and that arousal and that sexual pleasure and don't worry about what it looks like did you have a good time did they have a good time what else is there to worry about you know so there's um and, and i guess like before you even get to that like overcoming that conflicting narrative of men should be having sex all the time and should want to have sex all the time you know being juxtaposed with this other narrative of well male sexuality is predatory and it's vilified and and we're scared of it and so there's this there's this internal conflict at least that you know um i haven't really explored too much of my own body um, i'm only kind of piecing it together as we kind of talk now but you know this idea of well if i'm supposed to be sexual all the time but my sexual energy is you know is inherently bad then you know, we've got this turmoil this inner conflict that's going on and and i think that causes a lot of confusion for a lot of men when it comes to learning or knowing or or even wanting to explore how to express their sexuality and was that a was that a, a confusion that you came to to head with <laughs> it's a confusion i still have bro i think it's why your work is so important there there are um men it's like the blind leading the blind 
you know, it's, it's wounded men who have not resolved their own confusion and trauma around sexuality and their sexuality, whether it's from sexual abuse, which is a, a remarkably high percentage of people who've experienced it, or if it's just societal conditioning telling us what we're supposed to be with our sexuality. Um, there are men who have not resolved that within themselves who are um, trying to raise young sons in, in like, I don't, I don't know the answer to it necessarily, but what I, what I do feel is that, um, sexuality is, is confusing for most people in my experience, because like you said, like, let's think from a woman's perspective, it's like, we're now experiencing this rise of the feminine and there's a reclaiming of sexuality that a lot of women are experiencing. And yet, and, and they are being shown advertisements of what is a desirable woman who's incredibly sexy and wears these bikinis and lingerie and all this stuff. And then meanwhile, if a woman does that uh, on one side, she's slut shamed and and told that that she's immoral or whatever it is and so like there's confusion on that side and then on the the male side like you said um men i i think that men are off i think there is a, a running ethos around male sexuality being the one of the primary reasons we have so much fucked up stuff happening on the planet mm -hmm. and i'm not going to disagree with that premise, um, although I would say that male sexuality inherently isn't the problem. It's the misunderstanding and confusion around male sexuality that is leading to um, expressions of it that people are calling things like toxic masculinity, which I honestly hate that term. I just don't think um, masculinity is is toxic like like masculinity can express a, a shadow form of it and all these different things but um that's a a side note my point is coming back to your thing about confusion 100 percent uh in my own life uh the confusion around am i if i'm let's give it this real world example if if i come up if i go up to a, a woman and i let her know um be like you have I have to come up and say, like, I was just watching you from across the room and you have an incredible body. Like I was a personal trainer for, for many years and I, I'm into fitness and I really appreciate what's gone into to that or whatever. Myself, generally, that's going to go over pretty well. Um, I, I find myself to be charismatic, well-spoken and, uh, attractive to, to many people. And, um, that allows me to say something like that. And often the woman is incredibly flattered and we will have, I say often, like I've done this a lot. This is uh, more hypothetical than an actual, but the, the point is that I can go up and give a compliment to a woman and it'll generally be well-received. Now, if I am someone that that woman is not attracted to, and in, in, in many ways, if, especially if that woman is actually unattracted to, to me, that compliment now becomes uh, you, borderline um, crossing a boundary right? Like saying something to a woman and, and having her, her response is often going to be based on whether or not she feels attracted to the man who's saying it. And so even in that example, you can see there's confusion as a man as to how are we even supposed to act towards women? 
how are we, how are, is it okay for me to, to tell a woman that she has a nice body? Is that okay? Or is that actually sexual harassment? You know, and especially with the rise of this, the Me Too movement and all of these things, I have had personal friends who have been like, who have just, in my opinion, have tried to do similar things, give a compliment or ask a girl out or express interest and have gotten almost like fearful that they've done something wrong. And so, yeah, that's a long winded response, but I think that there's a lot of confusion and there's a renegotiation happening between the masculine and feminine on this planet that, um, if we can't find compassion and understanding for just how sensitive and confusing the topic is, we're just going to wind up creating these massive divides and see more things like men going their own way and just shutting down. And yeah, it doesn't look good unless we can keep compassion and understanding through it. Mm, Totally, man. Like I, I think you touched on it before, like that repression of feminine sexuality, the vilification of masculine sexuality and that kind of unhealthy symbiotic relationship those two, um, phenomenons have is, is, um, yeah, just kind of snowballs. Right. And, and we almost kind of seeing that with, with the fraction fractionation of like all these, um, misogynistic kind of subculture men's groups and, um, and then the way that we're, yeah, the way that the confusion is kind of rife as you, as you were talking about. And there's, I just feel like there's a lot of fear around sexuality, you know, and there's, there's fear of our own sexuality. There's fear of um, how we're going to be received. If we express our sexuality, there's fear of, I'm speaking from, you know, first person as a, as a man here. Um, And then there's fear of like crossing those boundaries as well of like, fuck, I don't, I don't know how to navigate these boundaries. No one's told me, you know, what, what happens if I, if I do cross a boundary, I, I'm you know cautious about that, and and so there's there's just this um, anxiety, anxiety ridden um, sexual experience for a lot a lot of people. There's there's they're not sure how to kind of overcome that, and um, I know you speak a lot to fear uh, in your um, in your poetry and in the work that you do, and I was wondering, can you speak to fear now? Is there is there a fear that you notice of? Um, in, in the work that you do in, in your own self-reflections that pops up maybe more than others? Hmm. That's a great question, Kim. Um, my fear, my, so I have a, a, a one kind of deep karmic fear that, that, that runs itself as kind of, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of us, we call it our karma, um, right? It, there's, an underlying fear that I think most of us will have. And it's different for everyone, but there's like one that shows its face and it touches everything. And mine is that there's something wrong with me. There, that, and that's from the, the sexual abuse and the not understanding why something, and it's a very common one that victims of sexual abuse can feel is like, I did something to deserve that. There's something wrong with me. Um, and, and I don't know what it is. And, and that shows up, um, even like yesterday, I was in tears over a, a situation where I felt like I, again, was experiencing this thing. Like I didn't know what I did wrong. And yet someone was upset with me or whatever. And so, um, the reason I'm bringing that up is because, because of that deep fear that there's something wrong with me, um, that leads into, for example, with sexuality, um, that same idea. And so like in my current partnership, 
um, one of my fears is that uh, the, these aspects of myself that were a part of it, uh, a part of me before, um, aren't resolved and that they'll show up again and my partner now will ultimately not want that that version of me that those those wounds those things like if um back in that 10 year relationship i took on the story that i had a, a low sex drive that i had low libido and i felt very much less uh manly in that um and since then i found like wait I don't think that story is true in terms of, but I didn't know how to cultivate sexual energy back then. I was afraid of it with this repressed memory of sexual abuse. There was so much at play. I don't think that's true. Um, and yet there is that fear that if that part of me shows up, like if I'm not uh, as, as sexually driven as the stereotypes of what a man's supposed to be, that there's something wrong with me and that my partner would ultimately leave me or cheat on me or, or whatever it is. And so it's interesting to see that come up because um, there's no evidence of it necessarily, right? But it is, it is still present there, like, like this fear. And I think that for people listening to this, what I would want to encourage is at the end of the day, the way that we can shift this is through conversation. And I, I think that men in particular have been so scared to voice this because even amongst other men, the, the, it's like the stereotype is bragging about how many women you've slept with or, or your sexual conquests or, or whatever it is. And therefore the idea of saying, yeah, I'm just, I'm not interested in having sex with my girlfriend right now. Like we don't have, we have sex once every two weeks or something like that. If a man was experiencing that, they would have to overcome not just their own insecurity around it. They would have to overcome their fear of the judgment of the men. The other men would need to be receptive enough to not make fun of them or whatever. Like compassionate conversation around this is the starting point if we're ever going to shift it. And ultimately when we can start having open conversations about this is when I think the fear can go away because it normalizes this because you, I, I don't even know. I, I would love to hear from you if you can relate to what I'm saying, because I just think as we normalize it, we realize how much men actually have in common around something like this. Mm, totally, man. Thank, yeah, thank you for the invitation uh, for me to share as well because I was, I was reflecting as you were talking and one of my, I think my, my as you shared, karmic fear, right, that, that kind of core fear for me is similar to yourself but is, is, is not being good enough or is not being in, just not being enough, whatever that enough kind of looks like. Um, and I find that rearing its ugly head when I think about my career and I think about the the, the work that I do and the the studies that I've done and I'm like, fuck, I'm, I'm still not at that level where I need to, you know, where I feel like I've done enough or I've done enough study or I've done enough work or I've made enough money or I've, you know, and then when I reflect on my sexuality, um, my college years, particularly when I was drinking quite heavily and had a quite unhealthy relationship with my own body and sexuality, my, the way I was expressing that kind of deep fear was, as you've shared, just quantity over quality, just trying to seek as many sexual partners as possible because that is what made me feel like enough. It made me feel like enough of a man to my mates. It made me feel like enough of a um, person to want to be desired by multiple partners. You know, it made me feel like I was 
just enough. And, um, and so that has been a big thing for me to, to work through. I've definitely worked through it in regards to my sexuality and the way that I relate to my own um, masculinity, but it definitely now is showing up in my career and in the work that I do. And so that's one of my biggest um, hurdles, I suppose, to overcome when it, when it, when it comes to kind of expanding my business and, and going through, um, going through that, that journey. So, um, and I see that, that kind of similar fear pop up in the, in the work that I do with men. It's very much like measuring your masculinity by you know, using yardsticks such as like how many orgasms your partner has, how big your dick is, um, how long you last, uh, very performative, right? It's very performance oriented. It's, it's like I need to do or have a certain amount of things I need to achieve. Again, going back to that goal orientation around sexual expression, um, I need to produce or achieve or reach some sort of level in order for me to feel satisfied or... Um, accepted or validated in in that endeavor of, of expressing my sexuality or, or that sexual experience but the problem is that is always shifting right you're there's always going to be someone who makes her come more times there's always going to be someone with a bigger dick there's always going to be someone who lasts longer there's always going to be someone who i've had guys you know measure their masculinity in terms of like the volume of their ejaculation like how much they ejaculated is determined determines the self ads yeah, there's it, ads for things that you can take to have larger ejaculations. Yeah, so like that, be, it's cr- crazy. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I feel like a lot of men measure their masculinity um, in that performative way, right? And it's that mm-hmm. at least for me, that reflects on my own inner fear of not being enough. It's like I don't, I'm not big enough, I'm not long enough, I'm not whatever enough, and um, and I think that's reflected in 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 the way that we advertise to men around sexuality and and. Um, and like you just said, the, those those ads and the way that we talk about male sexuality in that performative, goal orientated way. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. By the way, I appreciate appreciate that insight into your experience and your fears. And um, I think that it's important for us to acknowledge and recognize just how big of an impact the the media we consume is having on us, and it is like advertising, just so much money is spent on advertising of anything. The reason is because it works. Advertising works. It is everywhere. It is in your TV. It is in your podcasts. It is in your radio stations. It's on billboards. It's in magazines and newspapers. Advertising works. The reason is because what you repeatedly see imprints your unconscious and conscious minds. And so as a man like myself, growing up, uh, I'm 35. And so when I was growing up, it was the, be- I, I saw the transition of like where the internet happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was, I was that, that kid that grew, we grew, how old are you, Cam? Uh, I'm 20. Oh, I just figured this out last night. I'm 27. Oh, wow. So, so young. So I'm of the, the age where, uh, basically, I, I feel really lucky because in my early childhood, like my, my first cell phone, the first person I knew that got a cell phone was like in like seventh grade, basically. And the internet, I remember the, the, like 
in in school where we weren't allowed to use the internet for like our reports and and stuff and then later on we were allowed to so the transition of this and going from playboys and like sneaking a playboy at my friend's house to, to look at it to now you could just type it in on on the internet um and but like in those early stages especially porn was just massive dicks like the dicks were gigantic all the time. And, and so you had, it, it was just such an interesting thing. And I feel like porn has now shifted where there's a lot more realistic porn out there. Um, there's a lot more actually erotica and things. There's a wider array of stuff. And there's still obviously the, the massive dick porn and, and facials and all the things. But back in the early stages of porn that I first started watching, um, created an incredibly unhealthy perspective on what sex was supposed to be. Um, you like, I thought every woman wanted a facial. Is that, isn't that what every woman wants in, in porn? Like that's like the thing. And, but little things like that, I think that people are unaware of just how deeply they're being impacted by these things. And where, where it's obvious when we talk about it in, in relation to porn, I think what's not often talked about are um, just how it's portrayed in our movies that aren't about sex, how it's being portrayed in movies like just like the, uh, the Avengers and, and different things where the way that masculinity is portrayed is um, subtle and nuanced and you pick up on it in a way where, where um, I think it's actually a little bit more, you don't defend against it as much. And so when you have uh, the Iron Man, Tony Stark, that's being, that has a flirtation with someone else while he has the girlfriend or whatever it is. And you're seeing that, and this is your hero of the movie. It is having a massive impact. And I think that kind of subliminal messaging is one of the biggest ways in which, uh, sexuality is being distorted personally. Yeah, man, that resonates so deeply with me. And I, I often speak about porn a lot and, um, and I, I feel like it, it maybe gets, it, I mean, it gets a bad rap and maybe deservedly so, but I also feel like mainstream media in general, right, and mainstream media is mainstream porn, it's mainstream advertising, it's mainstream Hollywood movies, mainstream TV, has a lot to answer for. You know? And I think we, we tend to just lay all the blame at porn's feet and then, like you said, just kind of let all these messages and subtleties and nuances um, fall through the cracks through the, through the mainstream media. Um, and so, yeah. I, have a, I have a question. I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm going to because I have a question on this point exactly. Do you think that there is in kind of like insidious reason for it? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you feel like it's a control mechanism? Is it conspiracy theory or whatever? Or do you think it's actually just the byproduct of of unresolved wounding around masculine or sexuality in general? Or do you think there's actually a conscious intention to keep it? Um, kind of distorted in that way? I'm probably a bit of both, man. I reckon that there is probably an agenda. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's nefarious or malicious, but I think there's probably an agenda to go, hey, this is a, a model of masculinity that we want to we maintain um, because um, people are invested in it, right? It becomes a bit of a... a um, your woman presented a piece of information or a piece of media or literature or whatever it is that... Uh, 
goes against something that we hold true to our identity, right? Something that's like integral to who we are as a human being, um, masculinity, for example, the way that we think masculinity should be expressed and portrayed. When something comes up against that, we tend to to completely deny it and, and fight back against it with even more vigor because it's challenging our own piece of identity. And so I think that plays a lot of a role in this idea of, of maintaining these stereotypes and maintaining these um, these roles, if you want to call them, these gender roles or norms and um, and ways of expressing and, and portraying masculinity and sexuality in, in the mainstream kind of media. Um, but then I also think, like you said before, um, it, like it works, right? The, the advertising works and, and movies are just kind of big advertisements um, for the for the actors, for the um, narratives that they're trying to portray for the brands. And, um, and you, you, like the, the reason why superhero movies, why the reason why there's so fucking many of them is because they, they work, they, they make money. There's, there's a, a reason behind doing it, which at the end of the day is to make money and you know, people are invested in these roles and they, um, they want to you know, maintain those roles in their own lives. And so they keep on paying money for, for these advertisings or these movies that keep on maintaining that status quo um, because it's, people don't have to think or really, um, or, or really have to do a lot of critical thinking about it. It's like this is just seems intuitively true to me that men are like this, women are like this, and you know, men and women should interact this particular way. It's been true for a lot of people for many years. And so um, that's baked into who they are as a human being. And for them to have that challenged by literature or movies or something is, is um, yeah, is, is, is tough. It's, and it makes you have to do the work, right? It makes you have to, to actually think about who you are as a human being and what your identity is. And I think a lot of people are fucking terrified of that. Yeah, I would, I would agree 100%. In general, um, just biologically, uh, people are more called to take action out of fear than, than anything else. Like biologically, when we get afraid, the way that our bodies move, right? We got fight, flight, or freeze and, and all the things, but like, it's a matter of life and death. Like you, when you get afraid, it is, you need to take action because it is a matter of life or death, right? Um, what, what is that sound? Is that a, is that a saber tooth tiger run? Mm. And, and, uh, so understandably that our advertisements consistently telling us, um, from a space of not enoughness, right? Y you are not enough. So you need this. Well, that instills a fear that we are not enough and a potential solution of this will make us enough. And so we are more likely to take action which is by the product because of the fear that we won't be enough or we won't be happy or we won't be this if we don't. Mm. And um, as opposed to an advertisement that tells you, you have absolutely everything you need. You're good. You're awesome. And if you like this, here, give this a try. It's not as effective at, at initiating that like primal response of I need that thing. Then when you mix in stuff like how it plays on our, our sexual urges, how it plays on even, bro, even like um, food advertisements are playing on our sexual urges. The way they, I remember back in the day, 
I, first of all, just how they dress like a hamburger and the way that like the things drip and the like the sensuality of food advertising is very much playing. And if we don't want to call it sexual, we'll call it sensual uh, nature as humans. And then add in the fact things like I remember Carl's Jr. commercials. I think it's, is it Hungry Jack's in, uh, yeah, in, yeah. in Australia where it was just women in bikinis basically eating burgers and dripping on themselves all over the place. That was what their whole campaign was for a couple of years. And it worked. I ate a lot of those burgers. <laughs> I, I did. I, they, were, they were good at the time. And so I understand, and I agree with you in terms of like, is there an ambivalent kind of evil intention behind it? I don't know that it's, it's so much evil as it is the driving force is let's sell something and the most effective way that we've found to do it is is cause that that fear uh, in people that they need something or else they will not be happy or not be enough or not be sexy or desirable or whatever it is and i think that um when i i believe that as humans we can move past that because people are always going to want to buy stuff People are always going to want that thing. It doesn't have to be sold to us through that not enoughness. I think it can be sold to us in a different way. Mm, interesting, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I recall a little offhanded remark by Russell Brand, which was, if it has an advertisement, you don't need it. And I think that there's like, a, although it's maybe a, a, a bit of a universal, I think it's, you know, it holds a lot of water, that idea of like, well, fuck, if, if something's on telly and they're, they're advertising it, it's more than likely not something that's going to you know, be integral to your life, right? You don't necessarily- as I'm As I'm simultaneously right now have Facebook ads running for my treat yourself like someone you love e- uh, ebook that I have. I'm like, wait. Same thing. Wait. <laughs> It's like, maybe, I don't know. I'm trying, I, I'm finding that for myself too. I, honestly, as someone who has an ebook and online courses and a podcast and all the things, I ask the question of do, how do I advertise this? Like, and when I say advertise, it even feels weird. It's kind of just, how do I let people know it's out there? Like, how do I make people aware of it and give them the option to opt into it? Because I think it could help their life if they feel like they're looking for something to help learn to love themselves more. Or if they're wanting to listen to my music or, or my poetry, how do I let them know about it? Um, it's an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah, totally, man. I, I came up against that when I named my online program, which is called Outperform a Porn Star. And it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. Um title which kind of references that performance mindset and that goal-oriented mindset that a lot of men have around sexuality and then we completely subvert that in the course content um but i had the because i had trojan horse yeah yeah i had to be savvy with the marketing and be like here's a clickbait kind of title to get people involved in it especially men um and then you know we we completely kind of deconstruct that idea of outperforming in general um but it's you're right it is a fascinating conversation to have um and maybe i'll get a marketer on and, and they can come and debunk all these kind of ideas for us man and, and it's on this <laughs> did they let you run ads for that no not at all <laughs> no they blocked it. i would imagine i was like there's no way they would let you run those yeah my facebook ad account has actually been completely disabled i'm not allowed to run any ads anymore so <laughs> i got bad that doesn't surprise me yeah yeah you gotta you gotta change the title bro yeah yeah that's it man that's it um i feel like one of these big fears we kind of like haven't named it yet but is that fear of rejection right it's like if you don't have this thing or if you don't do this thing or if you aren't this person 
then you're going to get rejected. You're going to get sexually rejected by women. You're going to get rejected by society. You're going to get rejected by other men. It's pretty much a fear of, you know, that fear of not being enough is that fear of, well, if I'm not enough, someone's going to fucking reject me. And, um, and I find that is a really underappreciated or underacknowledged fear for a lot of men. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it's tough. And I think it was, I'm not, I'm not his biggest fan, um, but Jordan Peterson kind of made a great point about um, sexual rejection, which is like if you're being rejected sexually at a biological level, right, at that evolutionary psychological level, you're being, your genes are being rejected, right? Your, your, your capacity to reproduce and to pass on your genes is, is being rejected. And that's a pretty primal fear not to, not to survive and not to pass on your genes. So I think it goes under-acknowledged um, a lot of the time. Yeah, I think the fear of rejection ultimately is a fear of death, uh, because I, I think that when we're talking about rejection, we're talking about a rejection from the tribe or a rejection from a partner. And um, if it's a rejection from the tribe, back in the day, biologically, a rejection from the tribe is essentially outcast from your safety and and you're dead, you know, you, and, um, when you're talking about fear of rejection of a sexual partner, the ending of your lineage, it's a fear of death. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, I think that, uh, it, it's understandable why it's such a, a painful thing and why it's terrifying to so many people. And I, I, that's why for me, it always will come back to self-love, you know, if, it's painful to be rejected. It's, it's a painful thing to be rejected in any way, shape or form. And yet when you know that you're able to show up for yourself and take care of yourself and lick your wounds and, and come back stronger, um, it's okay. When you've, when you love yourself enough to be proud, like you say you go up to a woman at a bar and you, I don't know why a bar, I don't even really drink, but it's just always a bar, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Stereotype. Let's say you go up to a woman at a um, organic juice bar and you uh, approach her and you, you compliment her and she's not interested. Um, oh, here's a really great one. Here's actually a real life example. I was eating breakfast with two friends of mine and this woman walked in um, and uh, she walked in and it was just one of these things where I'm talking to my buddies and I just, for whatever reason, that thing that goes beyond explanation, it's not just, I find this person attractive, but there's like a, a thing that's pulling me. I, I said to the guys, like, guys, I have to go for just one moment. I'll be right back. And I walked over to her and I said, hi, um, I just wanted to come up and introduce myself. My name's Adam. What's your name? Awesome. I find you uh, I don't remember what I said. I was like, I would, I find you very attractive and I would love to get to know you better if you're interested. She says, Oh, that's so sweet. I actually have a boyfriend. Um, but blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, totally fine. And she said, no, but like, where are you from? And she started talking to me more. And I went, well, this is weird that now I don't want to act like, I don't want to, I feel weird. Like, cause you know that I'm interested in you and having this conversation, but I went back and I sat down with my friends. Anyway, point is that I took that as look at you go, bro, from someone who was so closed off and scared of sexual energy to literally get up from a conversation with your friends to go and, and tell this woman that you find her attractive and would love to take her to a coffee or something. And not, and, and that was my takeaway. It wasn't, ah, oh, 
I got a no or I got rejected or any of that. I left that experience feeling great about myself. And that was the result of a lot of self-love work. That was the result of me not needing her response to be anything in order to feel manly or whatever. It was actually the act of doing it that gave, that made me feel so good because if I hadn't done it, I would have gone, why didn't you do that? That was me giving into fear to not do it. Mm. And I think that um, I wouldn't, three years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And yet through the self-love work, through it consistently, that's where I found for myself the ability to not have my confidence, my worth, my value rise and fall with other people's opinions of me or out external results in that way. And so for anyone listening to this, that's my, my biggest thing. It's my message that you see across all social media is it will always come back to self-love always because that's your foundation that you get to lean into. Mm, I love that, man. And it's, and you said something else before, which was compassionate conversations as well. And I think that's you know, an act of self-love is like just allowing yourself to have those types of conversations and to be, um, open and vulnerable and um a a beautiful piece of um a phrase from your your poetry was you know it's an act of courage to be honest about your emotions and to and to be open up and to be to wear your heart on your sleeve a little bit and just to kind of express like your emotions with that interaction that you just had your one of those emotions was that you know sexual arousal that kind of sexual desire um which is an emotion right and and be able to express that and having the courage to go out and and um and be open about it and to and to share it with someone this is like um, confronting that deepest fear, right? That fear of death, confronting that fear of um, not being man enough or not being good enough or confronting that fear of, um, of something's inherently wrong with you, right? Just confronting that deepest fear is, um, yeah, is, is, is the work, right? Is that, is that deep work? And um, it reminds me of um, my favorite musician, Jim Morrison, um, was always in interviews would always say like, the, the greatest fear that we have is the fear of freedom, this freedom to just be ourselves, to not give a fuck, to just kind of do what feels right and authentic and genuine for us. Um, but we have all these, you know, we wear a mask and we have all these limitations and restrictions and we trade in our reality for just playing this role. And um, and a lot of men are doing that, I feel like, where we're just kind of like not being ourselves because of the fear of being rejected by society or the fear of, not being man enough or the fear of being labeled something by who the fuck, whoever cares. <laughs> and so like this idea is like the, the most important kind of like freedom is, um, and to get to that freedom, to be yourself, to be just who you are is to confront that deep fear. The thing that's holding you back from just being yourself, from just being who you want to be. And, um, and that's where I think that self-love work is all about. It's like just having that compassion for that deep fear doing some work around it, acknowledging that it's there and minimizing it or, you know, just thanking it for being there because it probably served its purpose and now going, what can I be? Who can I be? Who's, who, who am I? And, and do I have the freedom to, to kind of express that to other people? Yeah, I think it's amazing, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really great point and I think uh, it's why so many people are are confused around this is because as as men um the fear of to to be yourself requires facing off with all of the parts of you that aren't you you know like it takes it takes 
the courage to go inward and look at why do I believe this about myself? Where did I pick this up? Do I really, you have, you get to look at these parts of yourself that you may not be proud of. You may, you may um, judge or shame or blame or guilt yourself about. Um, and, and, through that process, you start to uh, chip away at the pieces of yourself that you don't want to hold on to, and you get to uh, expand and amplify the pieces that you do. And that process is often, it doesn't have to be, but most often, it's painful, it's confronting and, and uncomfortable. Uh, there's a lot of emo- a lot of different emotions involved in that, and knowing how to be with anger, knowing how to be with jealousy, knowing how to be with these things is a. Do we have the tools? Have we learned how to be with those different things? And um, that process is so scary if someone doesn't feel prepared or knowledgeable on how to be with that or feel supported in that. That it's easier to take on the characteristics of what we see in media portrayed to us as who we are supposed to be as people, as men and women. And so that being accepted is like, okay, let me be these things. Let me just do these things. And then I'll be accepted because that's what I want. And if I do that, I don't have to look at all these other aspects of finding my my own authentic voice and expression. And so you know, that comes back to where are people finding support systems? Where are people finding communities and, and tribe and mentors and coaches and to, to develop the skill set, to develop the tools, to develop the, the actual emotional supportive friends, family, and, and people around them so that they can go on that journey of chiseling the marble away to create the version of themselves that, that is authentic and fully expressed and capable of navigating life with, with their, their truest self at the forefront. Mm, amazing man and would that be if i was to ask you for just like one piece of practical advice that men women whoever could could do to start that kind of journey to self-love would it be to reach out for for support or would you offer some other piece of advice i would say that if i'm being 100 percent honest i would not be the person that i am if I had to do it on my own, <laughs> you know, um, we, I, and I think about the gift that I was absolutely given to be in a relationship for 10 years with someone who was able to meet me and hold me and challenge me. And, and we grew each other in this dojo of personal development of a relationship over the course of 10 years. And I'm coming to find how rare that is. I, I took it for granted when I was in it, but I, I've come to find how many people haven't experienced that and understand that it's, it doesn't have to be a romantic partner. It doesn't even have to be your family or friends that you have now. There is no shame in saying, I have no one around me that can help me with this, so I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to hire a coach. I'm going to join a program. That's why I launched the Create Community, thecreatecommunity.com. That's the place where I have an online community and in this modern mystery school where people are getting classes, multiple classes a week on things like sexuality, business, all these things. Like I understand the importance of it. 
so much that I desire to create spaces for people to have it. And that's what I, I love about this podcast and, and what you're doing too is, is if you're listening to this podcast, you're not just a, a listener to me. You're, you're a part of this tribe. You may be further in, in degrees of separation. We may have never met in person, but if you're listening to this right now, you are a part of what I consider to be an extended soul family. And if you want more support, that because that's my yes, Cam. Your the answer is yes. Find that support. Find that support. I don't know a single person who's done it on their own. And there are still times where I get really low, and I have a tough one, and I reach out to to the the network of people that that I've cultivated over years of doing it. Because there was a time in my life where I didn't have anyone except for my the person I was dating. Outside of that. I, I literally, I remember, you know, Ty Lopez, Do you know, Ty Lopez. No, no, I don't think so. He's the um, coach marketer. One of the, he was famous for doing those ads with like the Lamborghini in the garage. Like, look how I got the leg, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. I saw an advertisement that he did where he literally said, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. We, we've heard this. And I, I took that seriously and I wrote out who I spent the most time with. And I asked the question, did I, are these people, pulling me forward? Are they, are they inspiring me? And I realized that I was kind of the mentor to all of them. I was that person. And so that led to me hiring a coach and I put all of it on a credit card. I had no idea how I was going to pay it off. I didn't know, but I just knew that I believed so firmly that I needed to have people who were elevating me in my life. And so I was willing to pay for it. And if, if anyone's listening to this, like, Continue to listen to podcasts and continue to read the books, but develop a community of actual people that you could talk to in real time, online or in person that can help you along the way. Mm, Amazing, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for just spending an hour talking, getting real and, and, um, and just sharing, man. It's been a, yeah, it's been a real pleasure to have a chat with you, dude. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Cam. I'm I'm a fan of your work. Again, uh, it's been such a great pleasure talking to you. And we'll have to have you on. I'm relaunching my podcast, The Deep Dive. Uh, and I would love to have you on to talk about uh, relationships specifically. That'd be amazing, man. I would love that. Yeah, totally. We'll, we'll stay in contact about it. And, and for everybody else, thank you for listening to this. I really appreciate it. The fact that you've spent an hour with us says a lot about how much you desire to grow and evolve. And um, that takes a lot of courage. So blessings to all of you.